and the crowds disperse. <laughs> it was a single mother who had spent her whole life loving, pouring into, investing in raising her son that she loved very much. He was a great kid. He was larger than life. Everyone seemed to love being around him. He actually was a fabulous football player. Played defensive line, big kid, tough, wasn't afraid of anything. He was faithful at church. He was often seen at youth group and really seemed to love the Lord. Great kid. And yet there was one particular thing about this young man that uh, consistently made uh, his mother, himself, and people that knew him quite anxious. He suffered from a uh, heart rhythm defect called tachycardia. They knew it. They went to doctors, took medication, and yet they knew that at any given moment, the worst possible scenario could happen. They had many episodes over the years of him growing up where his heart would race. They just continued to trust the Lord that he'd be faithful to keep him alive and well. And yet, sadly enough, one episode uh, took his life at the age of 18. And this young man died of a heart attack leaving his mother, his extended family, his church, his friends devastated. And 20 years later, this woman still suffers from the grief. She loves Jesus, but she constantly has a nagging question in her mind. She navigates through the sorrow of what took place. Why? Why my son? Why in this way? He was so young. Why? Why? How do we make sense of situations like this? How do we make sense of such intense trials in our lives? Maybe it's impossible, fair to say, that to pinpoint exact uh, precision, here's what the reason is for such an experience. But I wonder if we can make sense as followers of Jesus out of real trials in our lives, trials like this. What sense can we make out of this? Over the last month, we've been in a series called we shall be like Him. We're looking at uh, this idea that God is slowly and progressively over time conforming us into the image of His Son. He has a very uh, specific way of bringing this about, bringing us to glory. The day that we see Him face to face, we stand before Jesus, and, the, and 1 John tells us that at that moment, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. We talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in sanctification. 
meaning how we grow in relationship with God. We talked about the role of the Word of God, the Bible, in sanctification. We talked about the role of the church in sanctification. And today, we look at everybody's favorite topic, uh, the role of trials. The role of suffering, really, which can come in the form of trials. It's our hope today that many of us will be uh, get, receive a, a helpful understanding about trials in our lives and grab a hold of some concrete application uh, as we face these things that uh, happen uh, each day uh, and often. And so I want to encourage you to go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James 1, 2 through 4. Follow along with me. James says this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever, and all God's people said, Amen. The first thing I want to tell you about trials this morning is that you can expect trials. Let's just get that right out of the way. You can expect trials. In another point in the scriptures, I think it's Peter says, do not be surprised when trials come your way. Expect trials. James tells us that uh, implicitly. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. He does not say, if you meet trials. He says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Trials of various kinds. Tony Evans said at one point, either you're in a trial now, you've just come out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go into a trial. Is Tony Evans right? Tony Evans is right. Expect trials. It's not about if they come, it's when they come. We can expect various kinds of trials... External trials, things that happen on the outside. Internal trials, just some things we're wrestling with on the inside. We can expect trials of various kinds to be something that we experience in our lives. Let's just start right there. We should expect trials. We can expect trials like financial struggles. Like the financial struggle that... Brandon and Holly Swain recently have found themselves in when they got an email from their employer that Holly had lost her job. And just like that, they found themselves in quite a financial trial. We can expect a sickness and cancer to come our way or other forms of illnesses and disease. I think for many of you that know uh, uh, Jordan Cinziano and all that he and the Cinziano family endured 10 years ago. 
He's an elder at Missio Church. He came here to plant a church in 2008 with his family and found out that his wife was diagnosed with cancer. And eventually, in 2009, as I remember, uh, she passed away. You can expect trials. Trials that uh, can come in the form of sickness and cancer. Uh, where many of you may be well aware of Carrie Becker and the fact that she has been battling insomnia for quite some time, that she has a very difficult time sleeping, and that that has a major impact on her life. What about Seth Fordham's back injury? Seth Fordham's one of the members here. In the last couple of years, he's endured much in, re- in, in reference to a back injury that he had at work. And the surgery that he's had, and the disappointment coming out of that, and the employment issues that came with that. Loneliness. I'm thoughtful of my grandparents, Walter and Carolyn Ulick. She's battled COPD and been bound to her home. My grandfather and my grandmother, who have been were such a part of planting this congregation, find themselves home a lot, sitting there, because there's nowhere to go. There's no one to see. Loneliness can be a trial that can come upon us. Depression. I've watched my mother battle depression her whole life and wrestle with sadness and sorrow. And here she is this morning. It's wonderful to see her here. Wonderful to have her. Talked with Ethan Fordham, who is up here leading worship, that he's often struggled with a propensity to despair and discouragement, oftentimes for absolutely no reason. It's something that he battles. We know that many people have been through a lot of relational conflict and and just discord and division and struggles in the context of their family. If you know Bob and Deb Steves, members here, Bob's a deacon. Deb's extremely instrumental in the lives of women. They have wrestled with... uh, just conflict in their extended family. And the pain that that brings them and the difficulty and the turmoil. There are marriages here that have struggled amongst our members, those in our community. Conflict in the home. We've seen death and grief and sorrow here. You'll never forget Mike Becker a couple years back with his father getting into a, a, a terrible uh, a snowmobile accident where he died. Shocking him and his family in dealing with the loss of a dad. We know Bob and Deb and the Callie family losing a sister and a daughter unexpectedly at such a young age. Olivia O'Neill, someone who's been around for quite some time. We're excited to have her back into membership here. We know the tragic loss of her husband. Just so unexpected. What about failed expectations and disappointment? Right? There's infertility in this congregation. There's career struggles in this congregation. There's uh, unmet expectations. And in your mind, you could feel like a failure. I'll never forget... Walking out of Wolcott feeling like all the expectations as a pastor, we did none of that. Just leaving. Planting Catalyst Church. We're going to take DeWitt by storm. 
And when we shut it down and merged into Missio, there was a sense of just confusion and frustration. And yet hope. These things are trials that we face together. You say, why is he mentioning all these things specifically? Well, just so you know, I've asked permission to share on these things. People were gracious. I don't want trials to become some theory here today. Trials aren't theoretical. They're real. Real life situations right here in the midst of this congregation. Oftentimes I'll stand in the back at the conclusion of a song and just look across the congregation and think, issue there, issue there, issue there. It would be easy to think that in our, even in our congregation on the surface, that everybody's got everything going together perfectly. That these people love God, they live in the suburbs, they're enjoying everything about their human existence. But in all reality, all I see in the back is people just wrestling with real life trials and situations where they need God. It's not a theory, struggles. And again, I haven't mentioned all of them this morning. Please, I'm, I'm talking about a fraction of the things that we, as the people of God, face. The trials that I'm privileged to know about and share even now. This is not meant to use you for a cool intro to a sermon. This is a privilege to know and share. This is a reality that we face together. It's the people of God. We can expect trials if we can expect them the question becomes how does the christian respond to trials when they meet them text tells us verse two count it all joy my brothers count it all joy my brothers count it all joy my brothers (laughs) Sometimes the Bible hits me that way. Does it hit you that way? Like it feels so disconnected from reality. Like it feels so out of touch. It almost gets offensive. Count it all joy. Really, James? Count it all joy. You're telling me I'm supposed to be happy about this? I'm supposed to feel good about this trial? Well, first of all, he's talking about so much more than happiness, right? Right? So, knowing that James isn't out of touch with our reality, that he wants to speak to it, on what basis can he say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of very various kinds? Well, I I like the next phrase, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know. I'm just going to stop there for a minute. For you know. The reason that we can approach trials with joy, it's because of something that we know. It's not about something that we feel. If you ever taken a Myers-Briggs, raise your hand if you've taken Myers-Briggs personality profile. Okay, most people have, right? Well, you probably would never know this, but I'm a feeler. Okay, just putting it out there. Yep, you can make fun of me all you want, but I'm a feeler. If I feel like a Starbucks run, we're going. I'm a feeler, okay? I live my life based on my feelings. 
All right, so here's the deal. Here's what I've learned over the years. Feelings can be false prophets. That's what they do. They preach feelings. Feelings preach. And they tell you something, right? Typically, they tell you a lie about reality. Okay? They fool you. They deceive you. They're false prophets. I've learned that over the years. And I can't trust in what I feel. i got to rest in what I know. I can't live into the subjective experience in the moment of a trial. I have to approach it based on what I know about God. So we can approach trials with joy. We can welcome them with joy because of what we know. So we can expect trials. And the second thing is, we can welcome trials with joy. Why? Because we know something. We may not feel it, but we know something about God. He's revealed Himself right here. We know something about God. What do we know about God? In the midst of our circumstances, what do we know? We know that God is good. That's what we know. We know that God is good. What else do we know about God? God is sovereign. He's in control. He has all authority. What else do we know? We know God is present. He's not absent, right? That's been something God's been talking to me about, right? Because I get frustrated about my circumstance or flustered about this. Say, well, where is God in all this? You know where he is? He's right in this. He's not somewhere else, God off doing something else, left you. No, the present situation that you're in, that's where God is with you. God's present, right? God is present. God is just. He's not unfair. He's not unfair. He is just. God is love. That's what we know about God. In the midst of this situation, God is love, and He loves me. All that we know about God, He's that in our trial. He's not that somewhere else. He is God in this moment. He is not in some other moment. We don't always feel this, but we know this. That's why we can approach trial with a sense of joy. Because of something we know about God. And we know that God is at work in these trials. In them. God's at work. He's doing something, right? These aren't pointless. God's at work. So we can trust in him, right? That's the next thing. In the midst of a trial, trust in what you know about God in the midst of those trials. Trust in what you know. We welcome him with joy because of what we know about God. And we're trusting in what we know about God. This is how we live out the life of faith. In the midst of circumstances that are, that are in, uh, uncomfortable and difficult, that test us, that try us. We trust God, what we know about Him, in the midst of our trials. And next, I'll say that we deal with trials by submitting to God's work in trials. It'd be so easy for us to push it away, to resist it. But the text tells us that he's doing something that we can, that we can uh, expect results to come from it. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. God is testing our faith in this. And that testing is producing something in us. 
These aren't pointless circumstances. Amen? God is at work in the midst of trials. He's doing something to refine our faith and shape our character. That's what that phrase really is getting at. That God is refining our faith. It says, you know that the testing of your faith. But really the understanding there, it's a refining process. It's refining. To refine is to purify something by a process of removing the impurities. Charles Spurgeon talks about this in one of his sermons on trials and affliction called, What are the Benefits of the Furnace? I don't know if you've ever heard of that, the furnace of affliction, right? The, uh, in, in Tripp's book, How People Change, he talks about heat, heat, trials, experiences, circumstances. It's like God turns up the heat, and we live in the heat, in the fire of that, in the discomfort. But what's happening is God is refining it. He talks about a time that he took a trip from London up to, to Glasgow, Scotland, And he's watching in this port city them building ships. And they're they're there. There are all the um, people doing the uh, making the the instruments and making the the piece uh, the pieces of metal that the wood fit into for building the ships. And what are they doing? They're just heating up cauldrons and they're stirring. And as they heat those cauldrons, they're getting a, a metal. And what they're doing is they're, they're putting an instrument over the surface and they're wiping off the dross on the top of this, of this uh, hot metal liquid. That's what God's doing in the midst of trials. He's turning up the heat, right? And all the impurities are rising to the surface and he's just pulling off the impurities so that our faith is refined. Refined. The refining of our faith. He says this, that is the benefit of the furnace to God's people. It melts, tries, and purifies them. They get rid of all their dross, and if we can but get rid of that, we may be willing to suffer all the misery in the world. The furnace is a good place for you, Christian. It benefits you. It helps you to become more like Christ, and it is fitting you for heaven. That's what trials do. The trial you're in, it's God turning up the heat, removing the dross, purifying you, and preparing you for glory, fitting you for heaven, as Spurgeon says. So that's what God is doing. We know God is using these trials. Submit to that work. Submit to it. He's refining your faith. And He's producing steadfastness. Right? Perseverance. It's this idea of enduring. Holding out. Doug Moo says it's like an ability to carry a heavy load for a long time. That the constant refining, the removing of impurities, is giving us strength to endure. It's producing in us a steadfastness. Because we know that in this life there is much pressure externally, internally, to quit, to give up. And he's saying that, ironically, the trials, the difficulties, when approached by faith, are the very things that reinforce and strengthen us to continue to persevere. What an amazing thing. That God is sovereign and active 
in the midst of these experiences to not crush us, but strengthen us. To give us more ability to persevere and carry a heavy load for a long time. The perseverance of the saints. Kind of makes sense, right? If you look back on your life, you never go, remember those weeks where we just sat on the couch together? If it wasn't for those movies, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. Right? Remember that cruise in 08? Just wouldn't have the patience if it wasn't for that cruise in 08. We don't say that. We look back on financial difficulties. We look back back on sorrow and loss. We look back on on, um, despair and depression. We look back on relational stress. We look back on struggles and disappointments and we go, you know what? I wouldn't trade it for a thing. You know why? It's made me who I am today. It produced in me Christ-like character. It formed within me strength. It gave me the ability to endure. That's what God is doing in the midst of your trials. That's why we can approach them and welcome them with joy because we know that God's good purposes are being brought about. That he's preparing us in these trials for glory. He's fitting us for heaven. He's refining our faith and he is producing within us Christ-like character. That's why we can approach him with joy. He says, let, not stead- let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it, let it go. Like, stop fighting it. You know, he, we're not saying search out for trials. Like, go look for that, man. Go try to find some awful situation. That'll be fun. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying do dumb things so that trials come upon you. Right? Say, the things that I've mentioned thus far, those aren't self-inflicted. It's like people were just living the life of faith and those things just came upon them. Right? No, we're not talking about being dumb and wondering why this happened. Well, so don't search for them. Don't, like, be a fool. Is that what we're saying? But we're saying don't minimize the work God is doing in the trial by resisting it. Let it have its full effect. Don't stand in its way. Don't stubbornly resist. Don't waste the trials. You remember John Piper had cancer in, in about 15 years ago, and I'll never forget his article, Don't Waste Your Cancer. Don't waste it. God seeks to be glorified and to strengthen you in the midst of them. Don't waste your trials. Don't seek to increase the frequency or intensity of trials. No. Don't give in to all the trial well, trial avoiding tactics of culture, right? right? I think a lot of times what we do is, is numb these things and medicate ourselves from these trials. Make ourselves feel better 
We constantly try to avoid difficulty. Like American culture is set to avoid problems uh, at all costs. Like do everything you can to stay away from them. What we're saying is willingly submit to God's work. Right? We don't need to swim upstream. Like if the stream of God's purposes is flowing in such a way by His Spirit, uh, in His Word, through His church, as we face trials... Just submit yourself to that work. Don't swim upstream. Let the river of grace take you where God wants to take you in the way that He has sovereignly chosen to take you there. Let steadfastness have its full effect. One other thing I think is really important that's not stated here because trials can exhaust us, can't they? as we welcome them with joy, as we know what God is doing in the midst of them, and as we know that He's actually strengthening us. But please don't miss this. It's fitting to ask God for strength in the midst of those trials. Ask God for strength to endure trials. When my child prays at night, and he says, oh, I gave it away. Pick your pronoun. Lord, help my faith to grow. Every single day. Every single day. Lord, help my faith to grow. It's been amazing to hear that prayer. But understand this. In the difficulties of this child's life, we're able to circle back and say, remember when you prayed, Lord, help my faith to grow? Ah, he's brought you to this moment. This difficulty, this circumstance, this frustration, this adversity. Remember you prayed, help my faith to grow. And this is a situation where God is faithful to answer that prayer. Let's pray. Pray that God would grow your faith. And pray that God would strengthen you in the midst of that growing process. Right? Because I wouldn't want anyone to think in any way, shape, or form that a command to welcome these trials with joy is a, is a self-generating call. That the call to uh, uh, deal with trials in this way, the call to embrace them with joy is a call where God supplies all the strength that we need. We pray, Lord, help my faith to grow. He brings trial. Give me the strength to endure. And we see that's exactly what Paul prays for his churches, specifically the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 1. He says, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul knows. James knows. That the source of our strength is God. As we seek Him to grow 
And we are now faced with trials and suffering and circumstances of various kinds. That it is God that continues to provide all the strength that we need to endure. So ask God for strength. Be foolish to think that we can face any circumstance, any moment of difficulty in this life without receiving on a constant basis the strength given by our God. So ask God for strength. And last, hold on to the hope of future glory. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 100% maturity, nothing missing. Christ-likeness, when we see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How does God grow our faith? Day by day, minute by minute, trial by trial, by His Spirit, through His Word, in the context of the local church, God is growing us. That's how, through trials. And these things, in the midst of them, we hold on to this great hope of future glory. What a hope that is. Right? We've, we've been saying this from day one in this series. We have not arrived yet. We're still on the journey, but God is bringing us there. And one day we will stand before God, we will see Jesus, and when we see Him, we shall be like Him. We will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials will take us there. Well, God will through the trials. Amen? Amen. So we can welcome trials because we know God uses them to complete our maturity. In some ways, we could see these as gifts from God. A grace. As difficult as they are, they're a gift and a grace from God to mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. This brings a decisive finality to the purpose of God. Remember, God wants you to be like Jesus. That's the ultimate end game. God wants to conform his people to the image of Jesus Christ. And he's using trials to sanctify us. And as we endure, and as we receive strength, we see in verse 12 of James, which we didn't really exposit or explain the things in between, we see that James is holding out this hope for his readers. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. He will receive the crown of life. What a glorious day it will be to trade in the trials for the crown of life. Praise be to God. That's how God grows us. And are we to be surprised by this? As if this is completely disconnected from the great drama of the gospel, that glory is achieved through suffering? Let us never forget that every good uh, purpose that God has for us has been secured by Jesus Christ, the one who came and left glory and entered into human history, who lived a life of humility, who suffered a death, 
that is unspeakable, who is rejected and despised, who, who is in Gethsemane, who bled drops of blood, sweat drops of blood. He did all this to secure our salvation. And that's the centerpiece of our faith, isn't it? Christ's work, Christ's death, Christ's suffering, and His resurrection. And when we place our faith, hope, and trust in Him, we are united to Him in that death and resurrection. And that's what Paul's talking about. It's I had all these things, a spiritual resume. But in the end of the day, I, I consider my spiritual resume as just rubbish. It's all lost compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Meaning, I just want to have fellowship with him in his sufferings. That when we live this life in the midst of trial and struggle and suffering, we are having fellowship with Christ himself. A deeper reason maybe that we can embrace trial with joy. Because at the end it's having fellowship with Christ. Filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his glory. Jesus is with us in this. He's not separate from it. We have fellowship with him in this. Glory comes down the path of struggle, suffering, and trial. That's where it comes from. So we can welcome trials. We can welcome them. Because we know God uses trials to complete our maturity. Amen? I was a very diligent college student, majored in piano, loved piano, gave herself to the instrument, Bach, Chopin, hours, 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 meant to devote her career to this instrument and to teaching others how to play this instrument, enjoying piano, teaching others the joy of piano. During her freshman year, her mother had observed this obsession in her and began to probe her a little bit in reference to the state of her relationship with Jesus Christ. She simply asked the question, where are you serving right now? And the young woman responded, I have my whole life to serve. Right now I'm in college. This is my time to work on the things important to me. And for the solidification of my future. Pretty poignant words, huh? Then at the start of her sophomore year, she developed severe hand pain. Didn't understand what it was. But she couldn't practice anymore. Matter of fact, she couldn't play at all. And as time went on, she couldn't even hold her toothbrush to brush her teeth. The pain was so bad that she began to write with her left hand. She went to see a doctor. They found that on her hand, a, a, a metacarpal boss had grown. 
And what happened was the nerve was rerouted. And it caused severe pain. Really what she had was nerve damage from the growth of that metacarpal loss. So in the end, she was forced to change her major. Maybe even more tragically, she was forced to give up her dreams. This whole experience became central to her grace story. Became her testimony as she would share in the years to come. The way that she processed this adversity, this disappointment, really this grief, brought her face to face with Jesus. The one who had served her with his life. The one who called her to serve him and others. And the Lord began to move powerfully in this situation in her life and in her heart during these days that came after this severe injury. You see, she trusted in the God that she knew through that. She submitted herself to the process. She called on God for strength. She sought the Lord for wisdom. And all praise be to God, 23 years later, and I know this woman, my wife, Doreen, to be one of the most servant-hearted, selfless people I know. And you ask, how did that characteristic get developed in her? How does any characteristic get developed in us? Trial, difficulty, sorrow, grieving, loss. That's how God works. Not just in Doreen's life, but in your life, in my life. And again, to this day she would say, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I wouldn't trade all the early struggles in ministry for anything in the world. All the confusing moments, where are the people? (laughs) Because what if they came? As a 24-year-old pastor, what if success came to me at the age of 24? What would have happened to me? I don't want to know the answer to that. But I love what God did. And I love what God's doing. We can embrace trials with joy because we know God uses trials. To complete our maturity. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, there are many people here in this room that have endured much trial, that are currently in a very difficult circumstance and or have heard that they should expect more to come. Father, we praise you because you are perfect and good. You know what we need. You've provided your spirit. We have your word. We have your church. And you're with us every step of the way as we approach trial and suffering and grief and instability and insecurity, all that we face in this life, you are with us in it. In all of these promises that we cling to today, all of these hopes are ours because we know and trust in Christ, our Savior and Lord, and we have been united to Him in His death and resurrection. 
Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today that does not know you, that can't make a sense out of their lives, why things have been hard, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them powerfully and personally right now and that they would turn their faith, hope, and trust to you. If there's anybody here that is hurting, that needs healing and encouragement because they're in despair and they're confused, God, would you minister to them now? Would you heal their hearts? Above all, would you give us hope? Hope for the day that we see you, stand before you, and you, out of your good purpose and grace, make us like you and put that crown on each of our heads. To you be the glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.